Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today Sunny Rice will be talking with Gay Sheffield. Sunny is the Petersburg agent for Alaska Sea Grant Marine Advisory Program, and Gay is the Bering Strait agent in Nome. They will be discussing the environmental, ecological, and industrial changes that are occurring in the northern Bering Sea region. Welcome, Sunny and Gay. Lauren, glad to be here. Gay, tell me a little bit about you. Who are you and um, where where do you come from and where do you live now and how long have you lived there? Uh, Well, I was originally born on the island of Aquidneck in the fair state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations and moved to Alaska uh, from the smallest state, of course, to the big one uh, in 1988 and found myself now eventually in the Bering Strait region. I've been here since working in this region since 1992, on and off, and fully moved here around 2007. And um, it's a privilege to be in the Bering Strait region. You do a lot of work with marine mammals up in that neck of the woods. Um, I'm not alone. We have 15 coastal communities that represent 20 tribes, and there's uh, about 10,000 people in the region. Three completely linguistically, culturally distinct Alaska Native peoples, and everybody's coastal because we have a beautiful Bering Strait ecosystem, the Northern Bering Sea Bering Strait ecosystem. And most people in this region are subsistence users of all the marine resources we have from marine mammals to seabirds to invertebrates like clams and crabs. Um, so I'm not alone in working with marine mammals or any of the marine resources. Yes, but I've seen some impressive pictures of you covered in blood and guts of large marine mammals. So I do work with, um, with other groups like the North Slope Borough Department of Wildlife Management. We have, they have a bowhead health assessment program. So often because people are so reliant on eating from, directly from the sea, the health of the animals and the health of the clams and things like that are super important. Um, And so there's a lot of different groups that try to monitor the health of the bowhead, the health of other things. We could certainly use more of it because there's so few people that are here on the ground as far as the big agencies and funding is always hard to find, but, but wherever we can, we try to um, look at the health of the animals, big or small. So you mentioned bowhead whales, and we don't we don't see bowhead whales around here. We see humpback mostly and orcas, uh, sea lions, of course. What um, what kind of marine animals are in your neck of the woods? Do you guys see on a regular basis? Well, we're we're so blessed up here that we see we see them all. We see the the ice associated animals like bowhead and walrus. Um, polar bear and bearded seal, spotted seal. I mean, we get some beautiful beluga, ring seal, ribbon seal. And but we also in the summertime are seeing your animals, too. The humpback comes up to Bering Strait now, goes all the way up north to Utkiagovic, up what used to be known as Barrow. Um, we see the fin whale. That's kind of new coming up. We have stellar sea lions. So late October, we have stellar sea lions literally sitting right now on a rock that sticks up 10 miles southeast of Diomede, a place called Fairway Rock. Your big, beautiful, these are typically big bulls only. Um, they come up after having a 
had their girlfriend and fighting all summer and not eating, sitting on those rocks, doing what they do to make all the noise and whatnot. Those big males give it up and, and realize they're hungry and they've had a great time and they have to go somewhere to feed. And so a lot of them, both Eastern and Western stock of stellar sea lions, so some from the Gulf, as well as the Western stock from Western Aleutians, come rocketing north. And actually we even get the Russian Kuril Island sea lions in the fall. It's a big party up here for sea lions and nobody seems to know about it, but male adult sea lions, they come sit up here and gobble up fish. We're seeing them more often. We're seeing them extend their stay because they can. To have sea lions in number in the strait in late, late, not even, yeah, late October, early November, that's, uh, that's different. And we see a lot more of your animals. Everybody's coming up. So I remember I was lucky enough, Gay was lucky enough to come and visit us in Petersburg. And I was lucky enough to go up there and visit Gay in Nome. And I remember just standing on the shore and looking out and thinking, this is the storied Bering Strait. I'm looking out at that piece of ocean. We've got our little you know, Frederick Sound and the Wrangell Narrows is, a, is also a tiny little strait <laughs> between us and the neighboring island. But I'm just curious, like, what's it like to live on that kind of body of water? And how do, how do people in your neck of the woods interact with the ocean there at the Bering Strait region? Well, thank you for, for giving uh, Noma uh, that you enjoyed yourself in Nome. I really appreciate that. I have to say a shout out to Petersburg. When I came down to Petersburg, you have trees, big, beautiful trees. And, and we don't have trees here in the Bering Street region, not what you'd call a tree, obviously. Um, but your forests are so full of life. You can just feel it when you're walking around. It's all that moss or something. It's so quiet and you can almost hear them grow, those trees. It's a thing. That's a real thing you have down there. It's beautiful. Yeah, but you but have musk ox. You have musk ox right outside. Oh, we do. Uh, you're talking the land animals. Yes, we have musk ox here in Nome. And in our community, there's about 3,500 people live here in Nome. And people are very um, good about the musk ox. Uh, we, we hunt the musk ox for food on the regulated time. And the rest of the time, we just let them wander around and hope they don't, in the fall time, they get a little fussy with the dog on a chain. They might, uh, they don't like dogs. They have been known to kill people's dogs if, if they're, uh, they have a mind to do it. But for the most part, they're just wonderful neighbors, and we let them just wander around. So tell me How about do, the Bering Sea. What's it like living on the Bering Sea? Or well, the Bering I live in the northern, the northern Bering Sea. The Bering Sea is actually looks like one ocean on the map, but it's actually two different ones. And uh, I live on the northern Bering Sea where, the, where we get the sea ice, and that makes a lot of difference and sets up a completely different marine system so that's why we have things like walrus and bowhead and and the southern bering sea like south of the pribilofs they they don't see those animals very often sometimes bristol bay has walrus but for the most part other animals don't go that far the animals here like the ice and we have the benefit of both we get your summer animals in the summer southern animals in the summer and uh, we get the northern animals in in the winter it's just that now things are getting a little confused up here with uh, weather change and, and our, the way we make ice and how fast we can do that anymore. But people love to be on the ocean. We're a maritime region. We have St. Lawrence Island, Diomede Island, Shishmarefs on an island, uh, Sarachef Island. We have a very much maritime um, 
communities, everybody is connected to the sea. Everybody utilizes the ocean uh, for food. People fish. We have we have a small commercial fishery that's in Nome and Unalakleet, stationed in Nome and Unalakleet. The the offices for our CDQ group, and now actually for the first time, starting in 2019, we actually see the Pacific cod longliners, and we had a couple that I think were from from Petersburg. So that was something different. Just like your sea lions are coming, Petersburg's coming to the Bering Strait region. So it's very new uh, new for all of us. Yeah. So. What kind, of, what kind of foods do folks get from the ocean? Oh, gosh. Right now, uh, there's, of course, subsistence, subsistence harvest is a, is a big, um, non-commercial is sort of our biggest fishery. And yeah. our fishery, like I say, includes the, the uh, whales, the seals, the walrus, the clams. Right now, we've had a, a large series of storms. You may have seen that in the newspaper. We had big storms come through and create a lot of erosion and whatnot. But they also threw up a lot of clams from the deep onto some of the beaches in our island communities. And they're, they're not able to dig for clams. They're a gravelly beach. But when the big storms come, the clams get thrown up onto the gravel and people will gather all those broken clams. Um, tunicates are also something that are, are consumed. And even in some locations here, starfish. If you've never eaten starfish, uh, it's, not, it's not bad at all. It's pretty good. I even tried it myself. Tried boiling them up and... You split open the legs and get out a cracker. It's not oh. bad. Yeah. So right now we would be, if the weather wasn't so rough, people would be seal hunting. Um, people are, are um, collecting things from the beach. And surprisingly, we still have uh, seabirds in the area. That's another sign of, you know, the ice is taking its time to get out of the Chukchi and get down to us. But um, just been bad weather right now. So tell me about living with sea ice. This idea that the ocean freezes, um, I think, is pretty foreign to us around here. Some of our bays ice over a little bit. But, you know, I know things have been changing quite a bit. But what in the past, before we started seeing all these changes, what was it like living with sea ice? What would you expect to see and when? I guess? Well, well, we still see sea ice. So don't get me wrong. We will still freeze. Mm -hmm. um, it just comes later and leaves earlier. Sea ice is an incredibly dynamic uh, platform. And, you know, where you hear about, you know, people have a hundred words for snow. Well, there's about a hundred different words for sea ice because it forms in so many different conditions. Um, and it has so many incredible properties so it's, it's difficult to say. I'm surrounded in the Bering Strait region by real sea ice experts and um, people who utilize that both for the environment that it creates for animals. It is life-sustaining for this region. Um, of course, when you bring the ice down, yes, it's cold, and yes, you can. We're, we're also freezing our water at the same time. So with the ice gets pushed down from the north as well as we're making it ourselves uh, when the weather turns cold. So it's very dynamic. And there are lots of animals that utilize the sea ice just for things like getting out of the water on um, or getting food. And one of the really, you know, the ice, of course, is cold. And there are animals, fish and krill and things like that, that are specifically made for super cold water. And so that then there's some that are more from the south that don't like that super cold water. 
So the ones that are in the super cold water are often um, full of oil and they have a very short growing time, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're just more greasy and delicious. So then maybe some that grow slower down in the, in the southern area. So when you bring the sea ice down, it's like a greenhouse window. When you, you just cover the ocean with it, we're in the Bering Strait region. Our sunrise has just occurred, right? It's 1043. Our sunrise today was at 10, 1025-ish. And um, still, when you bring that ice, it's like putting a window on top of the ocean. And that sunlight will come down, what little we get. And there's algae that specifically like ice and will grow on the underside and will get dirty ice. So when you break the crack the ice, dig auger through to make a, a fish hole or some place to pull up a crab with your hand line or your pot, <clears throat> um, you'll remove that ice. And when you get to the piece that's been on the interface between the ice and the ocean, mm -hmm. it's often brown or discolored with uh, algae. Oh, that feeds the krill. The krill come up from the bottom and love to eat all over that. And it's nice and calm because there's no wind, right? Because there's ice. So it's, they gobble up all that, and then here come those cold water fish. They gobble that up. Then here come the seabirds. Then here come the seals and so forth. And here come the people eating the seabirds and the seals and, and whatnot. So it's really a glorious thing. And when it melts out in the spring, oh, it'll be like the Amazon jungle of uh, sea ice algae underneath that ice. The ice starts melting, and then boom, down it comes. It has to go somewhere when the ice melts. Meh. So it falls, and we're a really shallow ocean, not like you guys. And so it doesn't have far to go, maybe 150 feet, 100 feet. And so our crabs and clam beds and all, all the worms, sea ocean worms on the bottom, they gobble that stuff up, and they just get drowned in food, sometimes literally drowned in food, and it's raining on them. And so we are incredibly rich in seafloor foods like worms and starfish and um, – tunicates and sculpin and clams oh my gosh snails whelks were rich then here come all the animals that like to eat those things walrus bearded seal gray whale you know we're, we're it's amazing that's amazing i think most people think i mean i until i started learning a little bit about it i thought you know the ice it looks it looks like it's dead it looks like a lifeless zone who would have known that there would be some kind of algae that was adapted to growing on ice it's amazing um, it's what, amazing what? ecosystem you describe there so full of life when it looks just like this desolate white blank freezing cold plain i guess so one of the things i think the this is called homegrown conversations yeah so one, this is on the radio. So I think the radio people that are listening to, to this, one of the funnest things to do is to take a little underwater microphone called a hydrophone and you go out in the spring when the, it used to be very thick and it just looks, you would, some people would say, oh, it looks so desolate. Not at all. You auger a, 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 a hole with your ice auger through the ice and then you drop your little underwater microphone in with a speaker while you're crabbing or sitting around fishing. It's like better than any kind of radio. You can hear all the marine mammals calling um, when you're in the Bering Strait, not so much near Nome, but uh, you have to be somewhere where it's quiet. And the belugas will be sounding like birds. And then you may hear the big bowhead, which sounds probably like a humpback whale. We don't have humpback whales typically when there's ice. 
and you'll hear walrus chatter with their teeth. It's, it's one of the most, and you realize we're surrounded by life, surrounded by life, even though you don't see it. It's very fun. So I have Better to than radio. Sorry, radio. <laughs> so it is radio. Yeah. I have to ask. So would a person just go walk out onto the, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, I can't imagine stepping out onto the Wrangell Narrows and then just walking out into Frederick Sound, you know, onto our bodies of water. Is that how or snow machining, I guess, out there or and are there landmarks and ways to so you don't get lost? And how does that work? Well, it's, it's actually that's a really good question, Sunny. Um, you have to know what you're doing or be around people who know what they're doing. It can be very, very dangerous, especially when you have currents or you're not sure of what you're looking at, the quality of the ice, the thickness of the ice. And so without a doubt, one of the things that I'm sure in Petersburg, you're always told um, wear your life jacket when mm -hmm. you go boating, huh? Um, strict, right? Everyone will get on you. Wear your life jacket. You didn't have a life jacket? Wear your life jacket. That kind of thing. Up here, you have an ice tester. It's an it's a Alaska Native um, tried and true safety equipment, and it has multiple purposes. It's a long stick with typically a metal now. It used to have ivory, um, sometimes still, ivory pick at the end, and then a hook at the top, very sharp hook at the top. Mm -hmm. And you, the only time I'm, I'm typically not scolded about not wearing a life jacket, but I am always scolded if you're on the ice without a tester. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know how to use it. You have to be very, very well educated by people who really know um, and can help you figure that out. It can be very dangerous, yeah. So the pick to test how thick it is, is the hook for helping catch you if you... Right, so the hook is very sharp and um, it can do a couple things. If you get yourself in a bit of a harm's way, as told to me, you know, I've used it, of course, but I try to stay out of harm's way <laughs> but you can use that hook to pull a piece of ice to you if you're if you're made a mistake you can um if your friend falls in or you fall in um it's better to have a hole in your arm from somebody hooking you in the in your through your jacket pulling you back up on top than going straight down so um there's that aspect of it and then of course if you're in a really find yourself in a very difficult the ice is going to uh, it's too thin, too thin, too thin. You can put that stick on the, lay it down on, on the ice and then spread your legs and stand over it with your legs as far apart as possible to redistribute your weight. And while you think of a plan B, hmm. get yourself out of that situation or get help. Wow. That's yeah. really, that's fascinating. Gay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's, I mean, I know what is going on in your neck of the woods. And we hear, I think, I hope that most of the people listening today have um, heard about the changes in the sea ice that are happening all over the Arctic. Um, and I think it's really, I, it really brings it home to me when I talk to you as somebody that lives there and is seeing it. It's a little bit different than broad conversations and maps and whatever. So so let's share that with the rest of the community too. What, what are you seeing particularly that's changing as the climate and the sea ice changes? Up that way. I know it's a big question. <laughs> Thanks, Sunny. Thanks, Sunny. Okay. <laughs> so I guess as um, as an Alaskan, uh, I would say that one thing that really strikes me is how Bering Strait region. You always think you're the center of the universe, right? Petersburg, center of the universe. Bering Strait region, center of the universe. But truly, <laughs> we kind of have things. 
rolling here. They are rolling. And I, I have, you know, this picture of the dominoes really starting to um, boom, boom, bump into each other. And things are, are in that sense, rolling. So it starts kind of with the, the water has gotten warmer. And there's lots of reasons why that may be. But the water physically is getting warmer. And because of that and weather pattern changes, our ice takes, we get, we, we get colder later. So we have less time to make ice. So our ice is thinner. So then come springtime, it's easy to melt. It's like a loop. Boom, 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 boom. And then that warm water is pushing northbound. All water in the Bering Strait region rolls north. The Bering Sea is actually trying to rush into the Chukchi and Arctic Ocean always. So we're not able to make our cold water barrier. We kind of have always had that ice come down for a certain amount of time and it does magic and it makes it very cold. Like I said, very cold water underneath that lingers. Now we don't seem to be able to keep that to linger as much. And so as a result, it's new territory for the animals that like warm water. They, they like to come up here. And so because the environment has changed, our ecology is changing. And now because our ecology has changed, now here comes, like, the, like I said earlier, a vessel from Petersburg even came up to fish. Boy, that's a long way to go to come up to the Bering Strait region to fish. But the fish have changed. Mm-hmm. And the, you can fish now. We don't have the ice at certain times of the year when we had it. So, and, our, and so then that rolls into, for Alaskans, I, I hope all Alaskans have been watching on the news as, as we've had a lot of interesting military operations this year. Um, I think some have affected, probably Petersburg heard about it because of the Pollock fleet, maybe bumping in with the Russians and all that. So it's, it's been very interesting that how just a change in the environment has changed our ecology a little bit. It's underway, which is changing who comes to the region, who's able to come now. The ice used to not be so friendly. So we have open water. And then that's bringing a whole bunch of different change. And now we're seeing not just fishing changes, but as far as maritime traffic, large industrial ship traffic, like research vessels and liquid natural gas tankers, um, uh, cargo, those kind of things. We're seeing that more uh, in the strait, quite big vessels. Does Nome depend on the sea ice as a buffer from the big storms and the waves and kind of, kind of the erosion issues that we're hearing about in other regions of Western Alaska as well? Yeah, that, that's a very timely question, Sunny. So we, like I said, we had these big storms come through and there's a lot of erosion. And it wasn't even that the winds were so high. It was just that it was sustained out of the south, maybe 40 to 50 mile an hour. And normally at this time of the year, we will have big storms. However, we normally would have the beginnings of ice. And even a little bit of ice will dampen big waves. So slush and things like that will just dampen a wave to action down. It's very hard to push that around. And so yeah, we're, we're completely exposed in places where for big storms that are sustained, we would normally not be so right to the sand. Mm-hmm. No protection in that regard. And those storms seem to be a little bit more, they're telling us because the water's warmer, the storms can get stronger. And I think Fairbanks just felt it when we had our big low, we sent it inland and they got, a, I think, a record dump of snow. A lot of moisture. Yeah. We that. saw rain. Rain, several days of rain. 
in the Bering Strait region in late, early November. Huh. So just a couple more questions, I think, Kari, yep. we've done it. Um, one is, so what, what does, I mean, this is another giant question that we could spend, people could, <laughs> you know, we could spend hours on, um, but so what do those changes mean for you and the people that live in the Bering Strait region? What, what are people doing to adapt? What things are being lost? What things are being gained? And big question, I know, but maybe just a couple ideas. All right, that's a big one. Um, let's see. So what's, what's changing? I know Petersburg is a fishing community, commercial fishing community. So one of the things that we had was here in Nome was a commercial king crab fishery locally in Nome, the Norton Sound Red King Crab Fishery. Um, and we used to also have the country, the United States, only under ice commercial crab fishery for the country. We would actually auger through and set pots and people would sell that catch to our CDQ group and we would be able to eat crab all the time. Because of the change in the ecosystem here, change in the water temperature the arrival in mass. We've always had a little bit of Pacific cod and pollock kind of swiggle through during the warm months, but they always get killed or go home come fall time. Because they are now here in much bigger numbers, we had to close. We had no commercial king crab season. For Nome, that's stunner. And we had our actually our first commercial um, Pacific cod longline season and pots as well. Um, normally Pacific cod were just a bycatch and, uh, and this year we're expanding our fishery to include locally here in Nome to include Pacific cod. And I think they got over probably small potatoes to Petersburg. They got a hundred thousand pounds over a hundred thousand pounds with our small fishing effort here in Nome, which is not, we're not, um, a large commercial fishing area. And, uh, you know, people are saying, even if king crab come back, um, they're going to continue. They're going to expand this Pacific cod fishery locally. It proved to be high quality fish. Um, good money. All got sold. All of it. So that that's a local change. Um, seeing the large catcher processors operating in the Bering Strait region north of St. Lawrence Island and up to Diomede. No federal fisheries are allowed to go past Little Diomede Island north on the U.S. side. We won't even talk about this is a transboundary area with the Russians. The Russians can do what they would like on their side with their fishery. Do the federal governments talk about fish? I'll leave that to NOAA Fisheries. But, um, but uh, we see these larger vessels staying into December. What's really interesting about that is I, I know we kind of get that they don't really want to be here except for the fisher here. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be this far north without U.S. Coast Guard support for search and rescue for your vessels that are coming up here for the other vessels that are coming from far away these are large vessels with multiple people on board something we're not used to seeing and and also the coast guard is struggling we the closest coast guard we have right now for this region is kodiak and uh, that's a long ways away to try to get assistance um that's a, that's a change to know that there's people out there and we are a self rescue area. So we are used to not having coast guard support that we never get them. Uh, now we do a little bit. They send us two helicopters to Kotzebue in from July one to Halloween. That's a first. And this is about the third year, fourth year of operation. Uh, that is a, a benefit to the region. That's a change. 
but um, it is something we 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 think about these fishermen at risk um, and what it means to be working on the border if you have a problem uh, if you have a mistake or um, distress hmm. it's very tricky when we talk about maritime issues like that transboundary so that's a change for the fishery we're probably expanding our own local fishery we've lost another you know a fishery that we had um, so we're in transition. There's a lot of that word transition or unprecedented going on up here, if that helps. Yeah, that's great. I just have, I see we are pretty close. I've got one more cool. question for you, if you don't mind. I don't know if you thought about this, but is there one thing that you want other Alaskans to know about your region? The one most important thing, if we could put it on a billboard, what do people need to, what should people know? This region is unlike any other part of Alaska. And it is amazing. We are a transboundary maritime region that is really truly in the crossroads and really truly in transition and it kind of should be considered uh, the bellwether for what goes on next. We have here with the border, um, it really shows us um, we see a lot more of the, the national tension Perhaps the national um, Russian-U.S. activities. Also, some of the reaching out. There's drills and there's um, <clears throat> ships, uh, different country ships now, military that are are drilling together. And you know, from different countries, that's not a bad thing to get to know each other. Um, so we see a lot of things that maybe people don't see. We're we're amazing. Oh. <laughs> My phone's ringing. <laughs> Uh, I think yeah. I think, here, I think anyway, it's an amazing <laughs> it's an amazing region. It's very dynamic, and this region has incredible, incredible peoples. Um, and it's just a privilege to be working and living um, with the people from this region. Thank you so much, Gay. We, I'm so looking forward to hearing you give a talk tomorrow night at, for the science series. Everybody can join in by Zoom at 7 p.m. and we can learn more particularly about these ecological, right? The, the ecology, ecological changes, but some of the other ones as well. And yeah. the woods. So great to see you and talk to you. And I hope folks of Petersburg uh, 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 liked hearing as much as I do about what's going on in, in your part of, the, of our beautiful state. Yeah, thank you, Petersburg. <laughs> Thanks, Gay. Let you get your phone call. <laughs> yeah. All right, do I just hop off here? Yeah. yeah. I'll take it over here. Um, Big thank you then to Homegrown Conversations, Kari, for putting it all together, and Sunny Rice and Gay Sheffield for joining us here. It sounds like there's going to be a great opportunity tomorrow at 7 p.m. Petersburg Science Series presenting the talk, What Do Sea Ice Changes Mean for Alaskans? So go deeper into those questions in a Zoom that uh, happening tomorrow evening, and everybody's welcome to participate in that. You can find the link on the library's website to join that Zoom presentation as part of the Petersburg Science Series. Head over to psglib.org 